This is exactly right. This is the last show of our European tour, and we're really happy it's here. Exact for that reason, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we left Los Angeles 17 years ago. <laughs> we were very young and naive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We smelled good. Oh. These dresses. I, I think I've uh, figured out what this dress smells like now. Okay. Because I tried to wash it halfway through, and it actually brought up more smells that I didn't <laughs> smell before. Uh, panicked raccoon is actually oh. what I think. If I came out with my own line of fragrance, yeah, panicked well, raccoon is what I would sell to all of you. If you wanted to say thank you to keep others away, uh, it's like a reverse perfume. Yeah, let them know that what, what what's going on on the outside is not what's going on. In your nose. I don't know. No, that was a good riff. No, no that was. No, don't doubt yourself. Terrible. Uh, we You're are ba- going to have a bonfire after this and burn <laughs> these fucking dresses. <laughs> a Wiccan ceremony if anyone wants to join us. That's right. A dress burning, tights burning ceremony. <laughs> uh, yeah. Really nice sound system in here, I though. Know. We just did a show in Manchester. I just realized it was still light outside, which is terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there were windows all around, so you could see it was like fucking daytime. It's like when people who are sober go to daytime raves, and you're like, that's not fun, though, probably. Sorry, one second. I need to have a private conversation with George. <laughs> a daytime rave? Yeah, it's what totally What are you fucking talking about? I swear to fucking God, they're called like daybreakers, and they're like fucking people who, I mean, they must be insane, because they're like, before work, I just want to go dance it out at a rave. I swear. I know, no. not for me. Oh, that's unsafe. <laughs> that's a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah. A rave before work. Uh-huh, during the day. <laughs> but it turns out it's only for people whose job is being a drug dealer. So <laughs> it, it's actually perfect. Oh, we were going to write out our top memories, our top beautiful memories from this tour. Yeah, I kept mine in my head. Oh, you did? Where memories belong. <laughs> Mine, mine doesn't you work want, that way. Did you want it listed? Yeah. Listed out? No, but I just can't imagine remembering anything at this point in my yeah. life. It has been a bit of a blur. The backstage, Vince said something about like, hey, remember that first dressing room we were in? I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I don't, <laughs> I can't remember the room I'm in right now. That's true. And my family keeps texting me and they're just like, oh my God, did you, like, did you go to The Hague? Where I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> We see, like, we see hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. We fucking see uh, this rug in all different <laughs> kinds of cities. 
<laughs> That's pretty it's much it. rough on the road, you guys. Oh, my God, it's so hard. <laughs> okay, what's your first beautiful memory you've written down? Um, let's see. It just says Elvis barfed. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a gorgeous time that was. Uh, here's what happened. I think yesterday our fucking pets started revolting against us being away, which is really sweet. Or they're just assholes. Because Elvis, I got a text from Steven, like, before we went on show. That's right. But she didn't cheer for Elvis, so... It's too late. (laughs) That was basically a cheer that was also saying no at the same time. (laughs) Well, good, because Elvis barfed on Steven's laptop. And it's not fucking working anymore. And guess who has to buy Steven a new fucking laptop? Beautiful memories from the tour. <laughs> What's yours? That's literally your first beautiful memory you from the tour. You said what you write down first. <laughs> and that's what I wrote down first. Maybe I should have committed this to memory. My first beautiful memory from the tour was we, Dublin was the first city we were in. And yeah, it was pretty good. And um, I, of course... I think we both had jet lag really bad. I was like wide awake at, you know, four in the morning. And, and then I looked and the, the room service menu said it was 24 hours. So I was like, well, let's fucking see if you mean it. And, uh, I think I got some weird, like cobbler. I don't know what it was. Blood sausage, something weird, but the guy brings it in and, uh, he kind of looks like Simon Pegg a little bit. It was fun Aww. experience to have someone in your room late at night. And he puts the thing down. He puts the, like, tray down. And then I'm standing there ready to sign a thing. And he just goes to walk away. And I was like, oh, don't I have to sign something? And he goes, that's okay. <laughs> and walks out. And I was just like, I actually kind of feel famous right now because... <laughs> When at a fucking hotel do they ever let you have one thing for, like, even a normal price, much less for free? Oh, the generosity of strangers. Of Simon Pegg. Of fake Simon Pegg. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, for real, though, I met so many fucking incredible cats in in Amsterdam. Sorry, are we only doing cat-based memories? Oh, I thought that you knew that that's all <laughs> oh, I... Oh, that's implied. I see. That's all I remember. Got it. Shit that is involved with cats. Right. We, yeah, we, they just kept coming to me. Like, we'd walk the streets and they'd be like, well, let's go in this pot shop. And I'd be like, there's a kitten here. It was the best. That's it. <laughs> you can't judge mine. <laughs> I thought there'd be crying during this segment. Oh. But apparently... <clears throat> Don't judge my my memories. No, no, I'm not. I'm trying to access the files. Well, we did have. It's. I just realized as we started talking about this, it's super rude. Right? Like we just got to Glasgow and we're like, guess what about all the other cities we've been in? <laughs> no, listen, listen. Um, I had a hotel where we both did. I never saw yours, but I'm sure they were matchy matchy. Our hotel rooms, my hotel room in Stockholm, was something... It was like I was a Disney princess. It was fucking nutso, bananas. And it, like, the windows opened out onto the water where, like, boats, like, ferries were coming in and people were, like, under umbrellas having cobbler, whatever, I don't know. (laughs) Cobbler 
heavily, uh, features heavily in your stories, yeah. I think. It's just, that's the one food I can now think of. <laughs> I'm sober. I'm sure I should have said lingonberries. That would have been way better. Mm-hmm. Everything in Stockholm was lingonberries and fish, mm-hmm. which was a living nightmare <laughs> for me. Where I was just like, could I get no herring in that, please? And hold those lingonberries for the rest of your life. So you're, so hotel and memories and the, cat memories is what we're, a theme here. And we got Swedish massages in Sweden, right. which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, this isn't. No, this is bad. <laughs> I've never. Wait, let's start over. We, we meant to do a slideshow to bore the fuck out of you, but um, <laughs> we just thought we'd do it verbally instead. <laughs> Well, there is one really exciting memory that just happened this, this morning. morning. Oh, <laughs> you guys, you tell it. Well, uh, international incident is what almost happened this morning. We, uh, I never want to say it out loud because we're always pretty L-U-C-K-Y when it comes to traveling. But this morning when we went through security uh, in Amsterdam, um, I, Vince turned to both of us. And, right? Vince? That's Vince's one fan. <laughs> He's been following us all around Europe. <laughs> fully su- Should maybe we get Vince in to tell the story? Yes. Okay. I just remembered. He might just be hanging out in the dressing room right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, come here. He's just laying on the floor. There he is! Our tour manager Check. and George's husband, yeah. Vince Averill, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Could you just recount for uh, the good people what happened to us at the airport this morning? I'm happy to do that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I can't always come out and save you guys from tanking when the front of the show is... <laughs> it can't always be me that has to... I was muling the drugs for the crew... <laughs> that we had smoked very efficiently in Amsterdam. (laughs) And I had said to my wife, I had thought to myself many times, get this shit out of your pocket before you get to customs. (laughs) But there I was, loading the tray. I go into my pocket, and I was like, fuck. (laughs) So I'm looking around, I'm going, "Uh, the only trash can is like four feet behind me on the other side of the entry. And I go to the guy behind it, is there a trash can? He's like, yeah, just, just give it to me, whatever. <laughs> and at that point, it was either, I didn't know what to do. So I just handed it to him. <laughs> and it was? I thought, interest of full disclosure, right? It can't be, you know, it's Amsterdam. It, uh, this has to happen every 10 minutes. <laughs> People forget that they smoked weed in Amsterdam, probably, <laughs> occasionally. It was a pipe, a, just a, a pipe, a lighter, and about that much weed. And, and an eight he, ball of coke. Okay. <laughs> that was in my ass. Uh, <laughs> They'll never find it. He, he opened his hand, and they dropped a net over the top of me. Uh, it was, yeah. everybody, a, a siren went off. They fucking, no. They, no. <laughs> I almost had a fucking panic. It got serious. And then I just, essentially what you had to do was sweat for about 20 minutes while they acted like you had uh, done something that might land you in a prison colony. <laughs> but instead, after the very military looking guy came down and took out his scale and looked at me and did some paperwork, just turned and goes, 
be more careful next time. (laughs) (laughs) Then they chased me because they wanted to give me back the Uh, fucking pipe and the goddamn... (laughs) They gave him the pipe and pot, or just the pipe, or the pipe and the pot? The pipe and the lighter. Sir, sir. (laughs) Don't forget your paraphernalia. (laughs) It's very polite of them. That's how it went down. It was bad. That's how it went down. We'll see you later. It's April. Oh... Did you see how he subtly blamed me just a little bit? Yeah, I heard that loud and clear. Oh, that's Doug. Our therapist is going to fucking hear about that (laughs) next week. You know what? Put it on the list. I'm going to put it on the list. Of beautiful memories. Um, I knew it was bad because Georgia just purse got like randomly pulled also. So Vince was standing over here and he did the thing where he was talking to me without looking at me or moving his mouth. (laughs) And he goes, I'll meet you guys at the gate. It'll be fine. And immediately I was just like, this is not fine at all. (laughs) And then you and I were not looking at each other because I think we were afraid. We were like, we're going to, if we need to pretend we're not with him, we need to be able to break free. (laughs) I went over to to like to talk to him and put my arm around him. He goes, pretend you're not with me. He's like, oh my God, you're right. (laughs) So then we just, when Georgia gets her stuff from the security guy, we just like kind of walk like, this is how people walk at the airport. And it's the thing, too, where it's like, I don't want to ask Karen about it because I need Karen to be strong for me right now. So if I turn to her and go, is it going to be okay? And she goes, I don't know. I'll fucking lose my shit. So just don't say anything at all. So what she said was we got like, I'd say 80 steps away from that area. And then this is when I got really scared because Georgia, who is fully free and welcome but also doesn't really give a shit and will tell me anytime she's any kind of nervousness or anxiety or a passing thought at all <laughs> she goes you are true not in a bad way she just goes like this I'm kind of nervous and then I was like oh my god like literally I was like I'm gonna shit it was so it was so clear how much you were trying to like keep the lid on where I was like oh we're at a place where we're trying to keep the lid on that's the worst place yeah. And then, like, five minutes later, t- get a text from Vince being like, I'll, be, I'll meet you at the gate. It's like, oh, my God, we made it. So that was amazing. Guys, that goes to the top of the memory list for sure. But now that you know that you guys know that we smoke drugs in Amsterdam, I can tell you the best memory I have from that thing. <laughs> um, don't do drugs, etc. Stay in school. Yep. Um... So we just had just smoked this pot that we got at the store and it's, you know, we don't know what's going on and it's scary. And I think we're both get like a little panicky when we smoke pot sometimes for like waiting for it to kick in. And, <laughs> and then we're walking down the street and then this guy on a bike, just like fucking this totally Dutch dude is like this Nordic looking guy with his shirt off and tiny shorts rides his bike <laughs> by. And he just, uh, as he's riding by, he's listening to his headphones and he starts to sing along to what he's listening to. Um, and so he rides by and he, and you hear this. Poke, 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 poker face, my poker face. Poke, 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 poker face. And in his like accent and I just fucking was like, this is going to be a good day. Lost my shit. Poke, 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 poke. Now I don't know if I was like downwind of you or like I was in a different, uh, like the sound wave hit me different, but it just, to me, it sounded like a guy rode by on his bike going, bok, 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 bok. <laughs> it was like, I don't know if this is going to be a very good day. There, I might have some weird chicken attack where I fucking freak the fuck out and everyone turns into a chicken. 
the thing of everyone knows I'm high and they're fucking with me. Yeah. That's, yeah, I get that. But then George, I go, that guy's making a noise. George goes, it was poker face. And I was like, all right, it's on. We're doing this. It's good. It's all good. Singing Lady Gaga. That's amazing. That's gotta be a good sign. It's so funny too, because it's like, we all know that, especially in California, the pot is so fucking strong because everything's hyperponically grown. So it's like, I mean, you you cheer. Yeah, but but dude, sometimes you just want to get a little high. You don't want to be out of your fucking mind, like yelling at the TV, like I do. Yeah, it, like we. I think we were all smoking. We were sitting at these little tables at the like cafes or whatever, and we would just take a hit and kind of be like making small talk. But we, could, you could tell that we were all just waiting to like step off the ledge <laughs> and be like, now I'm crying in public. <laughs> now I'm clawing at my own face. What's happening? <laughs> didn't happen never happened no we had a great day it was super fun yeah. and it was our first day off in like eight days or ten yeah. days or something we just lived it up we had meatball sandwiches no lingonberries no lingonberries um <clears throat> we yeah <laughs> you start reading off the page and then what we... did i buy i bought a vase you know why i bought a fucking vase here's why i bought a fucking vase so I text my mom because it was Mother's Day, and I was like, "What do you? What can I get you from here?" Thinking like a like a thing of perfume or an oil, and she said, "Just a little vase, a fucking vase that I'm gonna have to pack in my suitcase. It's gonna smash to fucking bits, and I have to be careful with." Of course. My high-maintenance mom wants me to bring her a fucking vase. It's almost like that thing we, we used to have in high school where when you're a senior in one of those, like, classes, they make you carry a bag of beans around for a week and pretend it's your baby. Yes. And it's like, this is what it's going to be like if you have a baby, so you better carry this bag of beans around. It's like, that's what she made you do around. Just give me a little highly delicate and yeah. incredibly expensive vase to carry around by hand. This was what it was like to fucking raise you. <laughs> Now but you, you are louder than a vase. <laughs> and you did more drugs than vases, too. <laughs> you took a Tylenol with codeine every night when you were pregnant with me. No, she didn't. But I did buy one at, like, the Manchester train station. I was just like, here's a vase. Um, and I'm going to tell her I bought it at, like, a flea market in Amsterdam. So You, you should tell her um, the best vases in Europe are actually at this Manchester train station. <laughs> Everyone knows it's the best. Everyone knows over there. Good. Great. I had an experience today. We went and got a got some lunch when we got to the hotel. And um, so you know, yesterday you were talking about how in Amsterdam you had to use the McDonald's order uh, screen, uh -huh. and you used it in Dutch, so you didn't understand any of it. Mm -hmm. I had the same exchange today in a pub, but it was with the waiter <laughs> because oh my god. I, I just was nodding. I, I think we were talking about beer. And he was lovely and wonderful, but I could not understand a fucking word he was saying. And I loved it. I was like, keep talking to me, but I don't know what you're saying. It's fun. It's like you understand every ninth word, yeah. and it's like they're singing you a little song. Yes. <laughs> it's the best accent. Every time we'd meet someone... It, and, you would, and I would love their accent. You'd be like, that's the accent that we're going to yeah. be here for. So I, we just want you guys to talk to us tonight. It's not really, not really, Don't not really. <laughs> no. Don't do it. Mm -mm. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite murder, oh, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. This is Karen Kilgariff. This is Georgia Hartstark. 
couldn't be happier to be here. No, God seriously. damn it. It's very exciting. Yeah. Steven's and, not here. We apologize. <laughs> but listen, my cats aren't going to barf on their own laptops. <laughs> Little cat laptops. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You have to invent that. <laughs> <laughs> they can still cost like $1,500. Sure. They work. They're for cats. There's just like four keys. Just a fish, <laughs> a string, fucking laser light. And then you pick the fourth one. I won't do every single key. You can, you can have your say in the cat laptop Thank if you want. Thank you. You're welcome. Finally, it's up to me what cats say. <laughs> oh, I just want to say, oh, yeah. uh, for those of you who thought you knew me until I walked out on the stage and saw so much cleavage coming from me, and you're like, that's not Karen style at all. Thank you so much. Thank you for supporting us. Um, and your bra. For this is the this is the dress I wore at our LA show, but at the LA show I wore a slip. I got here and then realized I didn't bring my slip. And then the, on that first night, I was just like, ah, fuck it. I mean, like, who gives a shit? That's right. Who gives a shit anymore? And that was your birthday. I remember it was your birthday. That feels like a year ago. I know it really does. And uh, in tr- like traveling, I could just every picture. God bless everyone who comes and sees us afterwards, pays for a meet and greet, and then they post those fucking pictures like, I want to see that shit. <laughs> no. Uh, it was so great to meet you. It was great to meet you until you posted that fucking picture of me looking like a carved potato. Let me just say it. Let me get it off my chest. This chest. Let me get it off so the girls can be free to breathe. Well, my dress, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty sure that it's going to be real easy to rip. Do it. Put the microphone there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate this dress so much. I'm going to burn it when the minute we walk off stage. It's one of those things where I've been wearing it and being like, blah, 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 and then I see a photo and I'm yeah. like, what? That's yeah. not what it looked like in the mirror. And, I, and it smells... Um, and it was cheap. So. Just let us hold our space in the, our outfits because it started strong. When I washed this dress halfway through, I was like, yeah, that's getting a little... I think I forgot to wear deodorant last night. I, when I washed it, not only did other smells come out, but then there was like a kind of a ring. Like, <laughs> like I was turning into a fucking tree. I was just like, I don't, I don't need any of this. Hey, should we sit down? Yeah. Oh. Oh. Look at this is all matchy matchy. It's very mid-century modern. Thank you. You know that's what we're all about. Oh, this is our (laughs) square uh, table tour. That's what we're calling it. It's our sticky table tour. Great. Tonight's show is sponsored by Life Water Life. (laughs) It's no Evian. Drink it up. Drink it the fuck up. Life. <laughs> Drink it up. <laughs> There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound... 
means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Do you go first or do I go first? Me? Okay. Let's do it. Don't you remember last night? Oh, yeah. <laughs> last night. I it was feel- only last night. Oy vey. All, All right. We- Friends in Scotland, <laughs> I'm going to do Birkin hair. That's right. What a couple assholes. <sighs> listen. Look. Hey, look and listen. Do you, uh, do you know this one? Of course you know this one. I have heard of it, yes. Okay. Well, and I'm going to tell I you. I think there's a movie that yeah. I tried to watch and I fell asleep. But I, <laughs> that's not a judgment. I always fall asleep within 20 minutes of any movie. <laughs> All right. Let's go to 1823. Great. The Judgment of Death Act. Uh, it's an act of parliament of the United Kingdom. This isn't going to be like last night where my, <laughs> my story was two pages long, so I filled it in with a bunch of fucking history of Amsterdam. <laughs> and I told it to a bunch of fucking people from Amsterdam. <laughs> they were like, we know. So, so she'd start to tell me something, and then she'd be like, eh, you know, it doesn't matter. And I'd be like, wait, what? She'd be like, you know, there's shipping, there's canals. Anyway, let's just move on. The word like, flir- the, the flourishing of science and art. It was not me. 
Okay, so there's an act in Parliament which so it, it says that the number of crimes punishable by death in Britain drops dramatically. So there's less dead bodies, and that the medical and anatomical schools were were only legally allowed to dissect the cadavers of those who had been condemned to death. So there was a became a shortage of dead bodies to fucking take apart, you know, for science and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but because of the advancements in modern medicine in the 19th century, fresh corpses... I already told you that. Okay. <laughs> We're off to a good start. <laughs> so, they could only use corpses of executed criminals and abandoned dead children and oh, orphans. Whoa. Super fucking chill. Because they wanted the, those young doctors in training to cry yeah. as much as possible. It was just, yeah, it was essentially if you didn't have a family to claim you that the, the doctors and people could take you. So that went away. So this led to the resurrectionist movement where resurrection men or fucking body snatchers uh-huh. would d- go and dig up freshly buried cadavers or unburied corpses from cemeteries and sell them on the black market. Like, like there would be cemeteries who'd just gotten behind in their work and they're like, just pile them up over there. Yeah. Yoink. We'll get to those tomorrow. Yoink. Yeah. <laughs> um, and of course, grave robbing is a crime, so doctors like wouldn't ask questions and shit because they just really wanted those corpses. Um, grave robbing became so commonplace that relatives would just fucking chill at the grave until the bodies were like unusable. Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking like picnic and shit. How long? Weeks? I don't know, yeah. I think they would like take shifts and just hang out there. <laughs> Serious. And then they'd build like crazy walls and watchtowers and what a time to be alive. And dead. <laughs> okay, so enter Burke and Hare. They're both named William. So oh, this is easy. Great. Um, Burke and Hare, they... What's weird about them is before this whole fucking thing started, they had neither of them had a criminal record or a history of criminal behavior. Um, and I think they were in their 30s when this started happening. So they were both born in 1792 from the province of Ulster in the north of Ireland. Fuck. Did I say it? We need to pick someone to tell us. Don't worry about them. (laughs) They're way back there. They moved to Scotland to work in the Union Canal, and um, Burke moved around 1817. He abandoned his wife and two children, came over here, and um, was like, I'm going to move in with this chick. Her name was Helen McDougall. Mm -hmm. But that, yeah. (laughs) And then in 1828, they had lived together about 10 years. They were married basically, and Burke was a shoemaker. He could read and write, and he was charming and kind of hot. I think he was like, you know, Ted Bundy-ish. You know what I mean? Charming. Just the shoemaker type. I know. I know. I've been there. Yeah. Okay. So the pair met uh, because they both lived in the Westport district of the old town. They became close friends. And um, so Burke and his wife, Helen, they... Uh, move into lodgings in Tanner's Close in the Westport area at Edinburgh. That's right. Thank you. So Hare lived the same street, and Hare and his wife, Margaret, are running a boarding house, and that's just when fucking people, you know, need cheap lodgings, they go there for super cheap. 
And um, so the first occurrence of selling a body is kind of innocent. In December 1827, <laughs> as How it so? always is. <laughs> It's always the first one. It was more happenstance, really, than anything else. <laughs> in December of 1827, one of the boarding house tenants is an old man. He's an army pensioner. His, his name is Old Donald. <laughs> That's right. He dies of natural causes, but he still owes four pounds in rent. So they're like, oh, shit, we need this money still. What we, you know, what we should try to do is sell this body for fucking... And he's about a four pounder. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. Okay. So Burke and Hare devise this thing where they do the old switcheroo with the morgue and they put like, you know, I don't know, newspaper in the, <laughs> in the casket. Sure. Um, they, put a, they put stuff a bunch of haggis into a bag and stick it on there. <laughs> Pandering. You guys. So they, then they take the body to, me, to the medical school at Edinburgh, Edinburgh University to try to sell it. But a student there is like, no, 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 no. The guy you got to go to, you need to go to Surgeon Square, which sounds like it's like the red light district for fucking <laughs> for doctors and anatomy. It's like where everyone's... You're like, stethoscopes, stethoscopes. <laughs> yeah. And speak to Dr. Robert Knox. He's a popular anatomy lecturer. And he... He's stoked because bodies are so hard to come by. He happily pays them seven to ten pounds for old Donald's body, no questions asked. Shit. Ask a question, dude. <laughs> Ask one question. Now, how old is old Donald? Yeah. And then they'd be like, you should be able to find that out yourself if you're such a good doctor. Said you're a doctor. So they're like, oh shit, this is easy and cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just easy it's cool and then they like gun it on their motorcycle yes. and get the fuck out of there yes <laughs> yes um and really this is more money than they would have made in months of just regular old work so they're like fuck gotta love that yeah so in early 1828, an elderly man named joseph who's staying at the boarding house gets super sick and he, older joseph Sorry. Sorry. It wasn't worth it. (laughs) Um, He becomes sick, and he's probably going to die from his illness. And they're like, let's not wait around, though. (laughs) Shit. Yeah. They're like, let's help this along. So here's this becomes their um, signature move. They get him fucking shit-faced on whiskey, and then they wait, and then... (laughs) I don't think you're going to like this. Although they may be into it. You don't know. They, they get them shit-faced, so they're, like, passed out. And then they do what comes to be known as burking. Mm-hmm. Because of fucking burk. Because of the burk part. Let me explain this to Please you. Please do. So they basically compress the chest and cover the nose and the mouth uh, at the same time. So the person suffocates. But because they're drunk, they're not fighting. There's no bruising. There's no ligature marks. It's fucking sinister. <laughs> um... And so he dies, and... Um, <laughs> he dies of burking. Mm-hmm. They, again, easily sell, no questions asked, this body to Dr. Knox. And then again, now they're like, well, we're in it. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but then if somebody comes along and they're like, hey, I need to rent a room, my name is Incredibly Healthy Joe. <laughs> they're like, no, sorry, no rooms available. Can't do it. 
Well, no. At this point, they're like, how about let's just kill people? Like, there's no, like, oh, pretenses. the renting part is out? <laughs> the what? The renting a room? Renting the room. No, the, like, sick and dying part is out. Right. And eventually the renting the room part is out. Got it. So, um, so then a- another dude comes along, uh, an old man from Cheshire. <laughs> Cheshire. Cheshire? I'm from Southern California. <laughs> Fuck, sorry, but you should have seen us in fucking Oslo. Oh, you my should have. God. You should have seen Sweden. Oh. Holy shit! Poor, poor, poor Sweden. Oh, angels. We were just destroying their language <laughs> in a way that, like, at the at the meet and greet, people would come up and we'd be like, "Hi, what's your name?" And they'd be like, "I don't think I did today today." And I'd be like, and so I just try to mimic them, just like, "Oh, is it Kahinda day today?" And they'd be like, it's Kristen. Just like immediately. They all have American names because they're like, just shut up. Yeah, we know. We know you can't extend yourself to any other part of the world. Here, <laughs> here's my American name. I feel like this was our apologies for being American tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so sorry. We know and we're sorry. We didn't vote for him. There's just not that much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Uh, we're so- we're not all like that. Most of us. Them. My mom. Okay. I mean, it, the shit that's been going on in the news these days, I'm like, we don't have to get a plane back immediately, right? <laughs> that's right. Okay. So the, this dude comes in. He's ill with jaundice. Oh. And in the lodging house, they smother him again. They get another 10 pounds. No more. Not another question is thought about. Um, so then there's no more ill tenants, and so they're like... <laughs> They've killed every sick person <laughs> yeah. in town. And then, I don't know, maybe they were like, they'll be ill someday. We're basically just helping them along. Sure. Um, so they, they decide to start enticing people to Margaret's lodging house and, like, making them come there. So Burke and Hare go out into the streets for search, to search for more bodies, and they prey on um, the poorest communities, le- people who are not likely to be missed um, or recognized. So on the morning of April 9th, 1828, two local sex workers, Janet Brown and Mary Patterson, they run into charming Ted Bundy Burke... <laughs> And he invites them over to drink during the day. A nice morning drink? Yeah. Sure. Been there. Been there. Right. And they're like, absolutely, we'll yeah. be there. So they eat and drink and party, and Mary eventually passes out, and Janet takes off for a hot second. And then when she comes back, her friend's gone, and she's like, what the fuck's going on? She's suspicious of it. Um, and McDougal claims that she and Burke had left without him they didn't say where they were going she's like they totally left um (laughs) and so she she leaves and uh but she had no idea that mary patterson was lying dead in the next room waiting to be taken to knox dr knox and some of the students that uh our work under dr knox are like we know her like she's this like beautiful young woman that everyone kind of knows in town one of them said they had just seen her that morning and they they start to get a little suspicious first that's kind of uncomfortable when you have to do, you know, like an autopsy on someone you know. Yeah, like your You're friend. Just, oh, the girl from town? Um, yeah. Well, at least shut her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> 
they were also super suspicious because the body was so fresh that they were like, this doesn't seem like you went and snatched this. Should she be twitching? I don't like this at all. <laughs> One of them said that he thought that if he had bloodlet her, which was like the thing they did back then, great, uh, she would have like felt like she would have woken up. Like she wasn't warm, but she also hadn't gotten rigor mortis yet. So that was like creepy and weird. I mean, listen. Her name was actually very alive, Janet. (laughs) In late spring, they kill her next victim. He's an acquaintance of Burke's. She's a beggar called named Effie. They were paid 10 pounds for her body. Then they start to get reckless. In the summer of 1828, this is all within one year, by the way. Whoa. Yeah. They They spot a drunk woman being dragged by the Westport policeman. And they, and Burke's like, hey, you should just let her go back to her house. And the police were like, we don't know where her house is. And Burke's like, you know what? I'll take care of this. <laughs> and and not, I won't kill her, I swear. Yeah. I am in no way going to hold her nose closed and right. sit on her chest. So they hand her over to him and... Uh, they murdered her as well, and uh, hours later took her to the school to fucking get dissected. Okay? Yes. <laughs> That's appropriate. In June that year, there's two, two more victims, an old woman and her grandson, who are lodgers there. I know, it's really awful. Um, Burke said that this was the, the murder of the grandson is the murder that disturbed him the most, which is like, great. Well, that's good, yeah. Good. That's a good sign. Um, and the bodies are again taken Dr. Knox. They each get eight pounds. Let's see. The next two victims are Burke's acquaintance, Mrs. Uh, Osler, a washerwoman who came to do laundry, which is like, fucking let her do the laundry and leave. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wonder if he, oh, I hate him. They got her drunk and killed her. Um, and then a week or two later, one of McDougal's relatives, Anne uh, Dougal, Visited and they killed her. Okay, they're just like the laziest serial killers yeah. of all time. They're it's like, like at least leave your home and try yeah. to find people. It just whoever buzzes by. That's right. It's not smart. No. So um, let's see. Let's see. Two more people: Elizabeth Halden and her daughter Peggy. And then, so this is where it all goes to shit for them. In October, they brought in a well-known children's entertainer. His name is James Wilson, but he's known around the city as Daft Jamie. And she's like, <laughs> "Oh my god, is he? Is he? He entertains children, or he's a child that's like, hello, my baby? He, both." He's oh. only 18 years old. Oh. He has a limp because of his feet, he has feet abnormalities. Um, but he, it seems like he's a, he's like known around town and everyone seems to like him. Um, he supported himself by begging. He resist, they don't get him drunk enough because he doesn't like whiskey. And so he resists them and he was strong. And so they had to kill him together and like actually struggled against this. Her mo- his mother is like, starts looking for him. And the next morning when Dr. Knox uncovers the body of uh, James Wilson, several students are like, dude, we know him. (laughs) And um, they're like, you know what? I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Just (laughs) fuck this shit. And see, at the the end of this story, Dr. Knox is never, we're never really sure if he knows or not. But this little piece of evidence that he's like, no, it's not. And he dissects the feet and gets rid of them and dissects the head and gets rid of it first. So he like is covering covering shit on it. He's in. Yeah. And then on Halloween, 1828, 
Okay, their last victim, her name is Marjorie Campbell Doherty. She's lured to stay with Burke and McDougall on the pretense that she's a distant relative. They're like, come stay with us. Never stay with your fucking second cousin or whatever. It's like, <laughs> weird. Um, and then, so there's this other couple there, Mr. and Mrs. Gray, and they are the heroes of this story. Um, they got suspicious about this old lady that was staying in the lodging place with them as well. They got kicked out that night because they were like, we need some alone time with this old lady. (laughs) Not a good sign. Uh -uh. And when they get back in the morning, they're like, where did she go? And they're like, nowhere. And you can't go into that room. Oh. And Mrs. Gray's like, my shit's in there. (laughs) And they're like, sorry, you can't go in there. So um, my toothbrush. Yeah. So when she had a moment, Mrs. Gray, like, forced her way in and found Marjorie's body under the yeah, bed. Yeah, yeah, pushy lady. Yes. And um, they, were, they were like, well, we'll give you $10 a week if you don't tell anyone about it. Whoa. And the Grays are like, go fuck yourself. So, yeah. And they reported to the police. In the meantime, of course, the body is taken away. But... Um, it, it turns out that when everyone gets questioned, everyone gives conflicting accounts, and Burke and Hare end up blaming each other for the whole thing. So the whole thing is fucking busted, wide open. So, of course, it leads them to Dr. Knox, and then Janet Brown, the sex worker, identifies her friend's clothes that had been given to Mrs. Hare. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and so... <laughs> They didn't have a lot of hard evidence, but they eventually offered Hare, William Hare, immunity in return for testifying against Burke and McDougal. They're like, well, the death move is named after Burke, so we want him. Yeah. If it was called Herring, this would be a different story altogether. (laughs) So... So Burke and his wife are charged with Marjorie's murder, and um, but Marge, but she's McDougal's eventually set free and not proven under Scottish law. But Burke is sentenced to death by hanging. Ooh. So in total, Burke and Hare murdered 16 people within the span of a year. Some people think it was higher than that, and of course, there's no bodies to fucking autopsy because they'd already been autopsy. Yeah, that happened already. So. Pretty much everyone agrees that Margaret Hare knew about the murders, although it's never been proven, but she did get a dollar a week off of them, off of them <laughs> for basically like letting them kill people in her house. So she probably knew about it. And then um, it's assumed that Helen McDougall uh, maybe didn't know about it, but probably she the, did. That common law wife that yeah. was there the whole time? Yeah. She fucking knew. Yep. So, on January 28th, 1829, in front of a fucking really excited, stoked crowd uh, of over 25,000 people, possibly. Shit. I know. William Burke is hanged at Lawn Market and put on public display. And then later that day, here's fucking some fun irony for you. His body is donated to medical science. (laughs) Shit. That's... That's that Scottish sense of humor that everyone talks about. <laughs> That's right. Up. The next day, his body is publicly dissected in the same anatomy theater that he had helped supply with fresh corpses. Fuck. So many... Fuck yeah. I mean, gross, but yeah. So many people tried to attend the dissection that a riot ensued. <laughs> yes. 
And eventually the university arranged to admit spectators in a group of 50 at a time. They were like, calm down, you'll all get in. Some people are like, I want to be there for the eyes. Yeah. As a part of the dissection, uh, Professor Murnro, who he had possibly escaped his death by the hands of um, Birkenhair. Okay, here's this is fucking gross. He dips his quill pen into Burke's blood and writes, this is written in the blood of William Burke, who was hanged at Edinburgh, blah, 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 blah. Like, writes a whole thing out with his blood. Where it's like, dude, can you chill ah, out a little you bit? You guys love vengeance, don't you? <laughs> Shit. And, like, all these anatomy students, like, it was like it was Hala. They, like, all took a piece of him and, like, kept it as souvenirs, even using part of his skin to bind books and, and as card holders. <laughs> it's like, okay, you guys, who's the fuck up, like, weirdo now? Yeah. It's, We're it's all... a step too far. You've gone now full yeah. circle. Yeah. Uh, Burke's skeleton and a pocketbook made from his skin is still on display at Surgeon's Hall in Edinburgh. Surgeons. Is it the cutest pocketbook? <laughs> Next to his death mask and the life mask of Hare's face. Hare was released in 1829. He escaped into England. No one knows what happened to him for sure. But it was rumored he was thrown into a lime quarry by an angry mob. I think everyone else, in this, the, the husbands and wives and everyone, didn't have a great life after this. I bet. Which is like what we'd hope for. Um... Let's see. And Dr. Knox is cleared of his involvement completely. Of course. I know. But he didn't have a great life. His reputation was ruined. Blah, blah, blah. In the aftermath of their killing spree, the practice of murdering by suffocation is now known as burking. And the Burke and Hare murders led to the Anatomy Act of 1832, which allowed doctors, anatomy lecturers, and medical students greater access to cadavers. Phew. And yeah, don't make them work for it, because yeah. then they will. Let them have them, and allowed for legal donation of bodies to medical science, effectively ending illegal body snatching. And that's Bergen Hare. Wow. Fuck. That's dark. I know. So dark. It, make, it just makes me think of all those times after going to a bar and someone's like, come back to our house, yeah. we'll keep drinking. And then you're just like, oh, okay, it sounds great. And you're just like, just like a half an inch away from being burped somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> if you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. I'm going to do mine, and I'm going to do Peter Tobin. Yeah! 
Listen, uh, when I in my Uber on the way over here, um, I was talking to the driver, and he knew this story better than me. And then I was like, "This is a terrible mistake I'm making right now." <laughs> just like to remind you all, we're in a foreign country, just fucking using Wikipedia like any other good American would to tell you about your own city's history. We should have him come on stage and like sign language. <laughs> what it really is going on. <laughs> exactly, what's actually happening. Yeah. But what I loved was, as we drove through the city, um, as we talked about the case, and he goes, oh yeah, that, that's right over there. And it was like, everything was within three minutes of the street we were driving on every time. Does he have a, his own true crime podcast we can shout out? <laughs> he should, from his Uber. Yeah. That's actually a good idea. Don't steal that. <laughs> <laughs> copyright, copyright. Steven, make a note. Steven, send it to the government. <laughs> Okay. Not our government. <laughs> They're busy. Okay. This is such a fascinating and yet insanely horrible. This guy is fucking awful. Okay. And then it has this really awesome kind of or fascinating twistaroo that I could not believe. Um, and Stephen found this one for me. So, Stephen. <laughs> Poor Stephen on his little barf covered t- keyboard. <laughs> Just trying to post oh. one more picture of the cats. <laughs> I think that's, it's like the only thing that could keep him from posting pictures of your cats. No, is, he has a phone. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, the laptop doesn't even come into it. No. You gotta call Mimi and be like, barf on his phone. <laughs> oh, no. M- Mimi uses a phone from the 60s. <laughs> oh, my God. Totally. Hello, Mimi. Put your Bluetooth headset on. Okay. Ahoy, hoy. This is Mimi. This is Mimi. Who's speaking? Dottie's her secretary. Uh. Stop it. <laughs> oh, I got a call just as a, if we're going to do a pet sidebar. Uh, <laughs> oh, I got no. a call. Um, it's always bad when you have an a unknown caller calls twice in a row on your phone. That's bad news, uh-huh. always. And last night, it was 1.30 in the morning, our time in uh, Amsterdam. I get two calls from Burbank, and I'm like, fuck, this is one of my neighbors. So I've talked about this a little bit before, but my dog, George, is like a mix, and she's uh, basically like a lab. Please don't cheer for her. She's fiercely private. But um, (laughs) no, she's, she's good, except she... I don't know if something bad happened to her. And also, she was, when she was a puppy, she uh, lived at like one of those wall climbing places or something. (laughs) Because this fucking dog can climb fences. So the fence on the side of my yard is six feet tall. And when she, so she had gotten out of my house a couple times and I kept thinking, I was just making up what was happening because I, there, my whole yard was totally secure. So I was like, okay, this fence is a little rickety. So I had like two fences replaced because I was like, the, she got out three times. My, I live in, an, sorry, but I swear <laughs> this will be over in one second. All my neighbors are assholes and they're old and retired and racist and I hate them. <laughs> Oh, I can, I'm finally free to say that. I hate them. (laughs) They love hate. They do. This is, this city is hard. Um, but 
when she got out like the third time. So it was all, like the dog gets out and they immediately all put it on f- that fucking next door app. I don't know if you guys have that over here, but it's just this app where like retired racist people can like post. I saw a person that was darker than pale walking down the street. Lock your doors. It's that shit constantly. And then of course, as I said once on the podcast, daytime raccoon warning, which right. was hilarious. I saw a daytime raccoon. Then we make jokes about it on the podcast. Then one raccoon expert tweets at us and is like, actually, if you see a daytime raccoon, that might mean they have rabies. They probably have rabies. So it's like, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry about that. I'll correct it. Then somebody else comes in. Daytime raccoons are fine. So it's just like, <laughs> get your fucking raccoon story straight before you start adding me, telling me what to do. Anyhow, two calls. It's the Burbank dog pound George fucking scaled that fence again the and same she, day that Ellis barfed on Steven's laptop it's like they called each other <laughs> yes. they're like it's, we're making a break for it right they've Destroy. been gone too long it's both of our pets were like two weeks is too long we're not doing this because anymore they love us so much it's not true no Elvis had a stomach ache and this one was like I'm getting out of here I'm bored yeah George, I think it's because my dog sitter brings her dogs over and George is like, who is laying in my spot on the couch? Get away. So anyway, um, I guess that has no ending. No. Then the dog sitter got her at the pound. Oh, Georgia posted the picture on Instagram and immediately murderinos from across the nation start going, we have to find George and doing all the shit. And it's like, no, no, she was caught. She got out of the yard and immediately picked up by animal control. Like she didn't make it to the end of our street. She immediately got picked up. Like don't organize anything. Don't. (laughs) She's, she was actually never missing. While she was there, I made them give her shots, though, so she wouldn't want to go back. The Murderino's already recorded a, like, album to sell of, like, can't <laughs> bring George home. <laughs> Please, George. They, they start making pleas on television. <laughs> George, you're a good girl. We love you. We're what not kind mad. of dog are you? You're not in trouble. Okay. Focus. There's, I'm trying to talk about something. Okay, so Peter Tobin is born August 27th, 1946 in Johnstone, Renfrewshire, Scotland. <laughs> near, it's probably near a lake, I would imagine. He's the youngest of eight siblings. Oof. Yeah. Uh, in a big Catholic family, he has four older sisters and three older brothers. Really? Uh, and he is... Uh, immediately labeled a difficult child. When he's seven years old, he's sent to what's called over here an approved school, which sounds to me like the, in the description, a residential institution where young people are sent by the court for committing offenses deemed beyond parental control. Ah. So it's juvie, yeah. essentially. Um, so, uh, then he, later he, uh, serves time in a young offender institution. <laughs> There's this line that just says, at some point he joins the French Foreign Legion, but doesn't stay. I'm like, what was that like? That's like somebody high on Wikipedia being like, guess what? I'm gonna add. <laughs> um, so I had to pass it on. Um, cause I'm all about misinformation. Okay, so. <laughs> Uh, in 1969, he meets his first wife. He has gone out to the ba- uh, Barrowland Ballroom, which is... 
So in the 60s, there was this, it was like a dance hall. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I hear it's a gorgeous market. Um, but that's a time it's like where people would go to hang out (laughs) I looked it up on Wikipedia they said it has a sprung floor so you know those kind of um, when you go to see a rock show and the floor is like bouncy oh yeah because they used to do that when people were like super into dancing wow Um, and so it was like a place a lot of people went in Glasgow in the 60s Um, and and so he meets um, a 17 year old there named Margaret Mountney um, and uh, they get married, and they move to Jesus. what? Nothing. What just, happened? That went quick. That they got married. Yeah, they met there, and they got married. I was... <laughs> they met. They danced twice, and they're like, "Let's do this." <laughs> Time's a waste. In. Um, so they moved to Brighton, uh, in over in England. Apparently, um, uh, one year later, they get divorced. No judgments. I've been there. Um, <laughs> Uh, in 1970, he goes to prison in England for burglary and forgery. Um, in 1973, he marries again, this time a 30-year-old nurse named Sylvia Jeffries. Uh, they have a son, and then they have a daughter. The daughter dies pretty soon after childbirth. Oh. And then after three years of marriage, Sylvia leaves, takes the son with her. Um, then 11 years after that, it's December of 1987, and Peter um, has a new girlfriend. Her name's Kathy Wilson. She gives birth to a son. Uh, she's 15 years old. Ooh, yeah. no. Don't and do that. He's, he's much older than I think he's twice. He's over twice her age. Um, they marry two years after their son is born, um, and then at the ripe old age of 18, she leaves him. She's like, goodbye. Because all of these wives, all three of his wives, um, later say that they fell for a man who was very charming and very well-dressed and suave, and soon after marriage, it's revealed that he's fucking sadistic, violent asshole. Um, and they'd all been raped by him, imprisoned by him, oh beaten God. by him, and that basically he's a psychopath. Wow. Yeah. So um, in 1993, uh, Peter Tobin moves to Havent, Hampshire, to be near um, his youngest son. And on August 4th, 1993, uh, two 14-year-old girls um, go to the apartment complex where he lives uh, in Lee Park, and they're there to visit one of Peter Tobin's neighbors, but the neighbor isn't home. Mm-hmm. So they buzz his apartment and ask if they can come in and wait in his apartment no. until their friend gets back. Because oh, no. it's fucking, I mean, it's, please don't do that. <laughs> um, so as they're there, uh, he starts, he's like, do you want a drink? Let's all drink. Let's drink cider and vodka. And they're like, yeah, no, thanks. He fucking pulls out a knife and holds them at knife point, makes them drink. He then rapes both of them, stabs one of them. <gasps> then he fucking turns on the gas to kill them both. His, his son is there the whole time. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Um, but they both end up surviving. And he, so Peter goes on the run. Um, he hides under a false name with the Jesus Fellowship in Coventry. Uh, right? The perfect hiding place. Um, but police in Coventry spot his blue Austin Metro, and he is captured in Brighton. Um, so he goes on trial on May 18th, 1994, and he um, 
pleads guilty, and he receives a 14-year prison sentence. And he's released 10 years later, and he returns to Paisley. Um, I said Paisley wrong? I think that it's just a great place. (laughs) Oh, it's the best place in the world? (laughs) It's where all bad things happen? (laughs) Paisley! Let's go there on the way to the airport tomorrow. You guys, let's all go right now. You guys. Let's rent a bus. Okay. (laughs) Well, he moves away from Paisley because he gets it. Um, (laughs) In November of 2005, but he doesn't tell the cops that he's moving away, which he's not allowed to do. So a warrant is issued for his arrest. Um, Less than a year later, he shows up back in Glasgow. And he is going uh, by the alias... Pat McLaughlin, and, right? Um, So he starts showing up at St. Patrick's Catholic Church twice a week because they have a soup kitchen there that's open twice a week. Mm -hmm. So he's going to the soup kitchen, um, and then he basically starts telling the people at the church, priests or whatever, that he will be the handyman there, like he's trying to get a job. And so they employ him as their handyman, and one of the priests calls Frank a godsend <laughs> so um, he's not he's, he's not going to be because this is uh, it's at St. Patrick's Church where he crosses paths with a young woman named Angelica Club so she's a 23 year old student from Poland and she's living at the church she's um, she's a cleaner at the church and she also is getting free room and board she's trying to sa- make money and save it so she can go to college back in Poland um, but on September 24th, 2006, Angelica disappears. And she's last seen at 2.30 um, that day by Father Gerard Nugent. And he had, um, he's the one that hired Angelica. And he had passed by um, the garage uh, in the chapel house. And he sees um, Angelica and the handyman, Pat McLaughlin, um, painting a shed together. And he's like, isn't that nice that we all love the Lord? Um, <laughs> and that's the last time Angelica is seen alive. Um, so she goes missing. And they report it to the police. And the police start looking into it. Five days later, they find Angelica's body hidden beneath the floorboards inside the church near the confessional. Oh, no. Inside the fucking church. That's scary. So she's been raped, beaten, gagged, bound, and she was stabbed 16 times in the chest. And the worst part of it is it's all fucking horrible. And the worst part is the evidence showed that she um, was alive when she was put under those floorboards and in a church. It's just horrifying. So, um, then I never heard this one. What's that? Have I never heard this before? Yeah. It's, it's got a lot. Um, so soon after they, they put it all together and Pat McLaughlin, the handyman who is actually Peter Tobin is arrested in London. So, um, so he goes to trial for Angelica's murder and begins, uh, in Edinburgh on, uh, March 23rd, 2007. And, um, when father Gerard testifies on the stand about having seen Angelica last with, um, the handyman, he ends up 
he's 63 year old Catholic priest. He ends up confessing that he'd been having a sexual relationship with Angelica. Is there a Catholic priest here? Hey, he's like, I didn't. I, I just can't like the idea of the people that that were at this trial where it's just sorry like wait sorry what are you this is his thing <laughs> what are you doing fucking episode of Law and Order like shit like that yeah. doesn't happen in it's, real life it's total twisteroo um, he also admits on the stand to being an alcoholic even though he had gotten sober ten years earlier so it really shouldn't be coming into play anymore but. Um, it basically, all of this, it was starting to kind of turn, they were using that as, uh, yeah. as his defense or like that, it, uh, that, um, Peter Tobin wasn't the only suspect or whatever. Um, but, uh, still Peter's found guilty because the evidence is overwhelming. Um, Peter Tobin's DNA was found on the kitchen cloth that was in Angelica's mouth. Mm. And then his fingerprints were on items that were buried with her body. Um, he's found guilty. He's sentenced to life imprisonment to serve a minimum of 21 years. And, of course, Father Gerard has to step down as the parish priest. Uh, seems fair. Um, <laughs> so then... Uh, uh, they, when he is arrested for Angelica's murder, authorities notice that w- when Peter Tobin, um, he was living in Bathgate at the same time as. <laughs> it's we good can't... and bad. Good and bad. I know. Is what I'm... I don't know how you guys feel about these places. Yeah. Or somebody in the middle of the room is on a roller coaster. That's what <laughs> it actually sounds like. I'm just like, I mean, I like it there. My family's there, but then also I get beaten up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of feelings. Um, oh, there's a twisteroo. There's several. It's so fucking crazy. Oh God, oh so God. basically, the cops. There is a cold case. So there's a girl named a 15 year old girl named Vicky Hamilton who had disappeared. She was last seen February 10th, 1991. She had spent the weekend with her sister Sharon. She was t- trying to take the bus back home to her mother's house near Falkirk. Whoa. Falkirk sounds amazing. Um, overwhelmingly. Okay. She was taking, this was the first time that she was taking the bus alone. Aww. So she was super worried because she had to transfer at some point and switch buses. So she kept asking people for help and no. which, which bus she should take. And, um, so th- she's last seen waiting for her second bus, um, in Bathgate. Her purse is found in St. Andrew's Square in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh, in, uh, on February 21st, 1991. So they, they file a missing persons report. Um, police are thinking that she's a runaway because they end up finding, uh, because her purse is found and they're like, it look, it seems like she went to London and she was basically going the opposite direction, like mm-hmm. trying to get out of, out of her hometown. Um, they spend two months looking for her in London and they can't find her and the case goes cold. So in the spring of 2006, um, they reopen that file um, and take it out of cold case. And then they're looking at all the statements and all the evidence. And basically the new investigators like this girl was murdered. This isn't just a this isn't a runaway and this isn't a normal disappearance. Mm-hmm. Um, so they submit Vicky's purse for DNA testing and they find mm-hmm the DNA on the purse of Peter Tobin's three-year-old son. Oh, shit. And then what they, they start looking at the purse, and so uh, Tobin's son was staying with him uh, three days after Vicky went missing. Mm-hmm. And what they, when they actually examine the purse, 
they see that it suggests the boy had bitten it, like his father gave it to him as a toy to like distract him with. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So they believe they're putting it together because he lived in Bathgate at the time that he was one of the eight people that Vicky had asked for help when she was trying to figure out what bus to take. Shit. So, um, uh, so on November 14th, 2007, the police get a warrant and they dig a fucking six foot pit in, uh, Peter Tobin's backyard and they find a slab of concrete Uh-oh. underneath, underneath the dirt and the grass. They find a slab of concrete, which is always bad. Mm-hmm. Um, underneath it, Vicki Hamilton's remains are wrapped in plastic and they find four of Peter Tobin's fingerprints on her body. And they find evidence of bruising on her arms and her neck and traces of the sedative amitriptyline in her liver. Um, but she's been uh, uh, cut up, essentially. It's and, so crazy that, like, I mean, I'm always like, how many bodies are buried in the woods? But it's like, what about the fucking backyards of people? The backyard. That's terrible. Yeah, that's right. It's horrifying. Well, and get, just hold on to that table because... Okay. Meters away from where Vicky's body is, oh, no. they find a second body under the slab. And it's 18-year-old Dinah McNichol, who had been missing since August 5th, 1991. Holy shit. So Dinah was hitchhiking home from a music festival with a guy that she met at the music festival named David Tremlett. And they get a ride from a guy at a petrol station. That's a gas station petrol. to you and me. And um, <laughs> they make a move that uh, that is like, why they drop David off first? No, she is no. Fi- she is four foot like eleven. I think it said she's a tiny little girl. Gets left alone in the car with this fucking random dude, and she's never seen again. And after her disappearance, there's regular withdrawals of two hundred and fifty pounds mm. from her bank account. And her friends and family keep telling the police she wouldn't do that because she was trying to save up her money to go to college and for traveling. So right. she wouldn't just be fucking randomly spending a bunch of money. Sure. Um, but it would be 18 years before her family would ever know what happened Ugh. to her and it, until they basically they, they dig up this backyard. So, so um, Peter Tobin's second trial on December 2nd, 2008, he's convicted of Vicki Hamilton's murder um, after a month-long trial, and he's sentenced to life in prison. And the judge said, quote, Yet again, you've shown yourself to be unfit to live in a decent society. It's hard for me to convey the loathing and revulsion that ordinary people will feel for what you have done, I fixed the minimum period which you must spend in custody to be 30 years. Um, yeah. So they, then Dinah's trial is set uh, for June of 2009, but then Peter Tobin gets ill. He has to get surgery. So then they, re, um, they resume it. It starts on December 14th. Two days later, he is convicted of her murder. <laughs> not that, not, not that month-long shit. They're oh. just like, yep, it's a yes. <laughs> um, yes. This results in his third fucking life sentence. Um, and they said that he sat in the courtroom with no emotion um, while mem- two members of the jury wept oh, during yeah. the proceedings because the details of everything were Jesus. so terrible. Now, of course, this was huge, huge news here. And so as the news breaks, people are seeing it on, on their TVs. Uh-oh. And so then here comes this. Uh, we'd have to skip to a page. Now. Ready? Yeah. When the Barrowland... Uh, so 
there's a, there's a cop who has been retired. He was a cop during the 60s, and he worked on a thing called the Bible John Barrow... <laughs> Barrowland Ballroom Murders. Oh. Yes. And when he, when he sees the picture of Peter <gasps> Tobin on television, he says, quote, this is as near to Bible John as you're going to get. Shit. So, What's Bible John? And then two women come forward <gasps> and say, I saw Peter Tobin on the news. And uh, one, one, of, one woman said she had been raped by Peter Tobin when she met him at the Barrowland Ballroom in Glasgow in 1968, around the time of the Bible John killings. And when she saw the picture of him on TV, 40 years later, she said her legs gave way. And that the same thing happened. Another woman came forward in 2010 when she saw his picture and said that she had a threatening experience with this, who she thought was Peter Tobin at the Barrowland Ballroom. She said, I, it was the man who came up to me so many years ago in Barrowlands. I am 100% certain uh, Tobin is Bible John. Okay, so now we go back. <laughs> oh my god, this is like the most exciting fucking it's story I've ever heard in my life. It's fucking so bizarre. And it's very similar. It reminds me of that parallel of East Area Rapists. Totally. Where it's just like this thing. If you keep letting these people out and they're this certain style of psychopath, they yeah. just keep escalating and they just keep fucking killing. So, um, so basically, here's, it started on Fe February 23rd, 1968. The body, the naked body of a 25-year-old nurse and mother named Patricia Docker is found by a man who's on his way to work in a lane behind Carmack Michael Place in Glasgow. Um, she's been raped and strangled yards away from her home. Um, then the night before, she had told her parents that she was going out dancing at the Majestic Ballroom on Hope Street, but then she um, switched it up, and she ended up going to Barrowland Ballroom for the 25 and older night. Get Aww. those fucking kids out of here. <laughs> no, we're not doing the twist. <laughs> um, her clothes and handbag are never found. And then on Friday, August 15th, 1969, 32-year-old mother of three, Jemima McDonald, goes out for a night at the Barrowland Ballroom. She does not return. And then that weekend, this is super fucked up, her sister um, know, knows that she hasn't come back. She's super worried. And she starts to hear rumors in the neighborhood of the little kids talking about how they've seen a dead body in an old tenement building on McKeith Street. Oh, no. So she's, of course, more and more worried. So finally, she goes to the old tenement no. building to check, and she finds her own sister's no. dead body there. She's been strangled, raped, and beaten to death. Ugh. She was fully clothed. Um, so witnesses say that they had seen her, um, Jemima, leaving the Barrowland Ballroom at midnight with a tall, slim, young man with red hair. And another witness at, say, said that they heard screams coming from that building on McKeith Street. A month later, on October 31st, 1969, 29-year-old Helen Puttock is found murdered in her own back, in the backyard of her flat. Um, she had also been to the Barrowland Ballroom the night she was murdered. She and her sister Jean had met two men, both named John, there. Um, they hung out for an hour. They decided to head home. Uh, the first guy named John left um, 
this was like, good night, I'm going to go take the bus. And so Helen Jean and the second John, they got a taxi headed toward Knightswood, which is where Jean lived. And the second John who shared the cab with them was very well spoken, very well dressed, and he quoted from the Bible a lot. And this is where they got the name Bible John. Oh my was God, a, that's a, so creepy. It's so fucking creepy. Some Like you're chatting with a guy at a club and then he's like, Ecclesiastes 3, 97, 35. <laughs> It's like the the thing of like he was charming and well spoken that that doesn't fit with and he kept quoting the fucking Bible like that's bananas and this is not right. I think that Bible quotes were big in the late sixties. Mm. Not really. Bible John is like such a creepy name. It's, it's so creepy. This whole thing. Um, so Jean was dropped off and Helen and John, so basically her sister's like, oh, you like this guy yeah. and he's really well dressed and loves the fucking Bible. So I'm going to let you go with him. Um, and they were going to go to Helen's house. She find, she's found raped and strangled. Her purse is missing. The contents of it are strewn all about, um, in the backyard. And, uh, there's grass stains on the bottom of her feet, which indicate that she probably tried to get away from him at some point. And she had a deep bite mark on her leg. And a man who matched Jean's description of Bible John is, was seen in a disheveled state getting on a bus at 1.30 in the morning on Gray Street with scratches <gasps> on his fucking face. Oh, yeah. Um, n- this is the weird detail that's super creepy. All of the, these three women, these um, victims of Bible John, all of them had been on their period, and all of their bodies were found with either a sanitary napkin or a tampon on or next to their body. What the fuck? Yeah. It's, it's, it's gross anyway. It's gross by itself. Um, so here's some of the similarities between Peter Tobin and, and Bible John. Um, so Peter's former wives allege that he was driven to violence by the menstrual cycle. What? Which was something <laughs> that was a Bible John uh, motive as well. He, Peter Tobin was Roman Catholic with strong religious views. Um, he had moved away from Glasgow in 1969, mm. which is when the murders stopped mm-hmm. in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So it basically, the timeline completely lines up to fucking creepo Peter, Peter Tobin. I think he did it. Do you? Yeah. I think it's I, him. I get a really strong feeling yeah. that he did it too. Um, but because the evidence, uh, was old and it's, uh, you know, from the late sixties, um, they don't, they can never connect him like with anything that's like sufficient. And, um, Peter Tobin is currently serving his life sentence at, at the prison in Edinburgh. And he is reported to have bragged about killing up to 48 victims in Holy prison. Holy shit. Let's go get him right uh, now. <laughs> Well, he has had a stroke. He had a stroke two years ago, so <laughs> so at least we have that. And uh, that's the fucking super fucked up story of Peter Tobin, who could also be Bible John. Holy shit! Oh, Aaron. Oh. Oh my God. So awful. That's. Fucking insane. So crazy. Goodbye. <laughs> I know tonight in bed, I'm just going to be fucking scrolling all night reading about it. I know. And like, ew. yeah. Yeah. Good job. 
Thank you so much. That's really nice of you. Hey, hey, all of our homework is done for this tour. Yay. Oh my God. Yeah. Our homework is. <laughs> Me just ripping this dress open. Um, do we have time for a yeah, hometown? Let's do a hometown. Yeah, let's make you do some of the work now. Yeah, you you do the work for us. All right, hands down. Karen's going to tell you some stuff. Oh, here's the rules. You've you've probably heard these before, but if you haven't, um, so this is the part where we want one of you to come up here and tell us your hometown murder, the thing that got you into true crime or that affected you or that you know whatever fascinated you um, uh, as a kid or whenever whenever. Now's fine. To. Oh my god. Whoa, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard <laughs> to be in the spotlight. Um, so here's just some recommendations for us. We would love it if it this if you have a Glasgow story we would love to hear it that's the dream uh, we certainly don't want to hear a story if you're from Arizona we just don't give a shit <laughs> we're fucking here let's celebrate it um, it's great when your story has a beginning a middle and an end and that's not only for tonight for the hometown but in life <laughs> don't be one of those people that just fucking talks about dumb shit and then walks away <laughs> You can be as drunk as you want as long as you can follow your own train of thought, and that's up to you. Uh, you're the only person who knows when you get boring. Um, and if you get picked, just remember everyone else hates you, so I would keep it snappy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do you want to try it tonight? Do you want me to? Do you want to do it this time? I think this is your city. Or it's... <laughs> I, you guys, I lived here for three months in 2000. <laughs> in the year 2000. So I'm like, it's yours. Um, so I really... Yeah, I'd call this my city. Do um, you want to do it or should we have... Should we have Vince do it? I think we have Vince do it now. <laughs> Let's give Vince a little something since he almost got arrested in Amsterdam yeah, this morning. For us. Oh, there he is right here. Vince, you want to do it? All right, Vince. Are you scared because you're very close to them? Yeah, do it. <laughs> All right, Vince. Be discerning. Put your hand up if you have a story and you you can play by all those rules. Our marriage is on the line. I'm going to talk to Doug about this. Uh oh. Red hair, red hair. Oh yeah, she's cute. While she's coming up here, uh, our friend from the Strange and Unusual podcast is here tonight, oh. right? Where is she? She's way back there. Are you oh, serious? Honey, we would have put you up here. Do you guys listen to that? It's a fucking great podcast. Strange and Unusual. Listen to that podcast. Oh, yes. Hi. Here we go. I here love we go. it. Hi. <laughs> oh, Vince might get bumped up to first class. And this is a good one tonight. <laughs> this is how he earns dinner. <laughs> Um, how, hi. Okay, you can turn the lights down because she'll fucking freak out if she sees yeah. these faces. It's really scary. Please. How are you? Hey, are you great job. That? You've been Thank done you. great this whole Thank tour. Thank you so have you. Hi. Jane. Jane. Hi. Hi, honey. Get you here. Come over here. Hi, hi, hi. Center up. This is Kate, everybody. What's <laughs> Is that that beer that has iron in it? Iron bread, yeah. <laughs> is it beer? No, it's just uh, an energy. No, no, it's just a drink that's great for hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, where are you from? Um, I'm from just 
a little satellite town called East Kilbride. Parliament City in the house. <laughs> um, okay, you ready to tell us your hometown? Yeah. You got so, this. When I was about 14, we had these neighbours move in and their sons were uh, dicks. And wait, wait, translate. Um, dicks. Oh, dicks. 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 Sorry, sorry. So. <laughs> they're like, they're, they like sailboats? What? We, we had loads of running and so I thought growing up and um, so they were always in trouble. And then. In my 20s, I started dating somebody. So I was up in Aberdeen, up north, and I got a phone call from my mum. Aberdeen. And um, mum's like, the police came to the door, they questioned your brother, they want to question you. And I was like, okay, it wasn't me. <laughs> but your first thing was, wasn't me, mum. <laughs> Promise you, it wasn't me. But um, so it turns out that this the oldest boy, which was the same age as me, after, you live in Glasgow, you know about Ranger Celtic. Um, what, what? Ranger. <laughs> an old firm match, a Ranger Celtic football match. Ranger and Celtic yeah, match. It was my favourite. I used to watch it all the time. <laughs> this um, guy was at the pub and a guy in a Rangers football top bumped into him. And they wanted to question me because a guy came up the street, our street, with a baseball bat. So they were like, do you know him? Have you ever hung about with him? And I was like, no. Yeah, smart. And um, basically he murdered this guy with a baseball bat. Because he bumped into him? Yeah. And he had, the, he had the wrong football yeah, jersey on? Yeah, he was on, on. A, he was on Buckfast, so... <laughs> but violent. What's that mean? Um, there's a term in Glasgow that um, Buckfast makes you fuck fast. <laughs> what is it? Buckfast? It's a horrible, horrible drink made by monks. Oh. oh, it's horrible, it's disgusting. Like, is um, it, what is it, like a Jägermeister type of situation? It, it's like this. I've only drank it once, I can't, I, I was 14, and <laughs> I woke up in somebody's house and I was like, where, where am I? <laughs> we could have been reading about you tonight. <laughs> so, Wait, uh, really quick, what does it taste like, like when it's... It's really like, if you stick it in the fridge, it's really thick and syrupy, it's, I can't even describe it, it's like... No. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying, but I'll try it later. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> this guy um, turns out, and I still, I still know his mum, still talk to her because she likes my wee doggies, um, <laughs> and she was the one that, he, when he came home and took the baseball back, she knew if, for some reason when she heard about the murder, it was him, and mm. she's such a lovely woman. She was the one that called the police <gasps> and says, my son done this. Oh, and, like, no. She's amazing woman. Shit, that's yeah. hard. So anyway, he got like he got a really shitty sentence. I think he got like 15 years. His name mm. was Andrew Day Dean or something. Dick. <laughs> Andrew <laughs> Andrew Yowie <you're> Dick. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, that's my hometown. Kate, right? this Honestly. is Kate. That was awesome. <laughs> so Perfect. You did great. Nailed <laughs> it. Yes. Yes. Oh. You always want the last hometown to be fucking good. Yes. And that was that was it. They were they were decks. They were decks. <laughs> I'm they glad were... you said something because I wasn't gonna say anything. <laughs> You're like, what? Gorgeous redwood decks. Oh, I heard Hey, good you're job. number one. <laughs> were you covering your boobs? It's too late now. <laughs> we saw them. 
Well, well shit, you guys. It. That's been our European fucking tour, everybody. Wow. Good job. <laughs> Good job to you. I know. (laughs) We cannot believe this is our life. It's so insane. It's just incredible. It's been really, like, we've been working hard and it's been stressful and doing homework. And suddenly when you said that, I'm like, holy shit, we've been in Europe (laughs) with a fucking podcast that we started two years ago in my living room. It's incredible. We're as weirded out as all the people who are brought here tonight who don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we fucking owe this to you guys so much and we really appreciate it. We're so blessed to have this insane thing going on. And we love you. you. Thank you. Uh, I wish, I wish we could stand here and scream and clap for you guys as much as we get it from you because it really is, uh, it's a dream fucking job that we now get to do full time. We get to come out and we get to talk about the thing that we like the best that I think you guys like the best and have like a fun, cool conversation about true crime and laugh and we get the benefit of the doubt and everyone's fucking rad and it's, it's just it's such a fucking honor thank you so much thank you guys are you gonna cry no I'm gonna cry (laughs) I wanna cry thank you thank you Glasgow (laughs) thank you guys something because we know you guys don't like anything so that's very touching (laughs) well stay sexy and thank you Glasgow